0: all right let's pray father we thank you for your word and thank you that you are the power of god unto salvation and that your salvation for us is a complete salvation it's a salvation of our entirety it's a it's a redemption it's a rebirthing of our spirits it's being born again and having an inheritance with the saints it's a renewing and a transformation of the mind it's a transformation and the healing of the body It's a leaving behind all that was old and all that is of the old man, and it's an entering into the new and being a new creation. So, Father, this morning we ask you to lead us into that in all its fullness, that we can bring glory to your name and that we can know you more in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, we're going to jump in and we're going to read a passage of Scripture here um, from our good old Dr. Luke in Luke uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. We're going to read about uh, when Jesus encountered uh, Simon Peter. Um, But before we do that, um, I am going to just give a little bit of background to what was going on at this time. And then we're going to read the passage. So here we have Peter and he is there. Um, It's been a day of, uh, a night of fishing And Jesus comes along. We're going to read what happens here. But just before we get to that point, I want to point out a couple of things that when Jesus came and encountered Simon Peter in this passage, it wasn't the first time that they had somewhat of a connection. Um, But his mother-in-law had been healed by Jesus just a few days before. Those of you who can recall Luke 4 would know that. And uh, Simon Peter's uh, brother, Andrew, had been one who Jesus had come to and Andrew had gone and told his brother Peter about this man Jesus. So he'd been told about him. There had been some kind of connection. Uh, Jesus had done something incredible and miraculous for Simon Peter's mother-in-law that obviously had an impact on his life. So he's trying to suss out who this guy is, Jesus. And now we have this experience where he encounters Jesus in a fresh way in Luke 5. So anyone here, just on the topic, whose family member told you about Jesus? Hands up. Family member told you about Jesus. That's a pretty large number of us here that we were given the first introduction to who Jesus is from our family members. So we need to keep telling the family. All right, let's go ahead and read uh, Luke 5 together. We're going to read 11 verses. One day, As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the lake of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. It's a really amazing passage of scripture here. And it's amazing to look at what, how Jesus encountered Simon Peter, what Simon Peter's response was to him, and try and ask ourselves if we were in the same situation, what would we do? But Simon was there in his element, Simon Peter, doing what he did. He was a fisherman. He knew how to fish. And then Jesus came along and basically said to him, let me get into your boat because I'm going to rock your world. I'm going to transform your understanding of how things are and how things are going to be. What if you will be prepared to let me get into your boat? I want to show a a little picture here and uh, as a brief illustration and talk about the importance of how we need to be open to change and to change our minds. So here you see a picture, a bunch of kids in the back of the family wagon. The one in the front, that is me. Back in 1975, I believe, I was two years old there. And then you see my sister in the back, she's on the back right there, she looks pretty happy and there's a couple of friends of ours, and we were going here on a family trip with some friends in the church. Now, this was in 1975. This was about 43 years ago, and today, this would be a safety poster for everything not to do about automotive safety. So, you see... Here in this day and age, you know, everyone is just so obsessed with safety. Now we've got active safety features in cars. Seatbelts, that's like, that's not even remotely good enough. Seatbelts are a thing of the past. We've got to have front airbags. We have knee airbags. We have side curtain airbags. We have hip airbags. Now there are seat airbags. And then we have cars that can brake by themselves. They can predict what's going to happen. But back here, when I was a kid, we didn't need any of that nonsense. No one knew what this was for. So we've got a bunch. We've got four kids piled in the back of some week-old station wagon. And instead of airbags, what we did back then, we would hold soft, cuddly toys. <laughs> so so that, those were our airbags. The guy in the middle, he's going to fare best in an accident because he has the biggest one there. And the guy to his, to his right, it will do okay. My poor sister, um, with some tiny little, tiny little stuffed animal, won't fare so well. She seems pretty happy, though. Um, she could be confused with being a boy in this picture, which she pointed out. I could perhaps be confused with being a girl. But back in the 70s, we dressed boys as girls and girls as boys. Um, but basically, I have been placed on a trampoline in the back of the car. So you might as well have just put me in a human catapult that is activated when someone stamped on the brakes. If, if we were in some kind of accident, you can be sure that I would be playing pinball on the inside of that vehicle. But I was just having a great time. Now, it did help that I had tremendously pudgy thighs, and I was pretty fat for a baby, um, which I think is the way babies should be. So I might have done a little bit better than the average child in the event of an accident. But we look at this now, and we think, what the heck were our parents thinking? We've got a pile of deck chairs just placed strategically there. So there's some sharp aluminum and springs which could take out somebody. No one is even wearing seatbelts. And uh, this car probably was made out of a few old tin cans. But we have now learned that the things which were normal to us, we need to now do differently. And as much as I joke about this, um, no one would think of putting their children through this these days because we know there is a better way. And in fact, as a result of us learning and understanding there's a better way, Um, we've seen road traffic accidents fall dramatically, fatalities have fallen dramatically. But my point is this, that we find ourselves having practices and ways of doing things which seem normal, it's what we've always done, but then we learn that there is something better. And we have to be able to have a mindset to look outside of what we do so we can see what the better way is. And what we read here, we can get rid of the picture now, thank you. I um, don't want it to be too much of a distraction. What we read here is that Peter's life was impacted by Jesus, who was wanting to show him a new way. And the ability for him to enter into what God had for him was dependent upon whether he would receive What Jesus was bringing to him. The ability for you and I to enter into this breakthrough and for us to move forward in our faith, to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus, to come into our inheritance and to be able to present him to the world is tied on whether we are also prepared to hear what he has to say to us. And are we prepared to let him into our boat so he can transform our lives? Are you prepared to do that with me today? You can answer to that. It's not rhetorical. Yes. Okay. Good. We're going to dig in a little bit here. We're going to uh, make some applications and then we're going to have a chance to respond uh, together. So we have a whole host of things uh, happening here. But uh, one of the first things that strikes me in this picture is that we have a man here that was um, somewhat at odds to what was happening over where Jesus was. Here Jesus is coming, he's talking to the crowds, And so if we can picture that this is like the shoreline, um, so the lake would be behind me or the Sea of Galilee, and then all the people are here where you guys are, Jesus is here, and he's talking to the crowds. And they're probably standing where you guys are sitting, and they're going to be pressing in on him because they're excited to hear what he has to say. They have heard about him. They're fascinated by him. And so they're pressing into him. So he's getting wet feedback here. So he says to Peter... Who is off to the side? He sees his boat here and he says, Let me get into your boat. So, Peter, meanwhile, he is not with the crowd over here. He is not particularly excited. He is not pumped up. He's not full of energy because he has had a really, really rough night. What he needs to do is go and catch fish because he's got to make a living. He's got people to feed. And he's been out doing that all night. And he's cold and he's weary and he caught nothing. But even when you go out and you catch nothing, there's still work to be done. And so it's like the farmer who goes out and sows, and he plows a field, and even though there may be a weak crop, He still has machinery to maintain. There's still work to doing. The worst thing for anyone who's been involved in any kind of industry like this, or the worst thing for people involved in sales, as I was for a long time, is where you have to keep, you still do the same things over and over, and it gets you nothing. And then your boss comes to you when you have a great month and says, what do you do differently? And you say, I really didn't do anything differently, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. That's not generally what they want to hear. Um, (laughs) So Peter is out here. What they do, they've got to clean the nets. He's cleaning the nets. They have to clean them, and then they have to stretch them out. So here we have all this group of people all pumped and excited about Jesus, and Peter is not paying much attention because he's got work to do, and he is tired, and he is weary, and he has to do the work despite the fact that he hasn't got any reward from his work. And then we have Jesus who calls to him. And he asks to sit in his boat, and then he sits in his boat, and Jesus does his thing. He's talking and preaching to the crowd, and then he comes back to Peter, and he says to him, Peter, put your boat out into the deep, and, and cast out your nets again. And so, at this point, Peter has a decision to make. Let's just be honest, I know he did not feel like going out and fishing again. Now, anyone who knows much about fishing at that time knows that the best time to catch fish was at night, and it was not really during the day. So he'd already done that, and under the best of circumstances, fish had not been caught. So now, not only has he missed a whole night's sleep, but he is being told by this crazy man, Jesus, go and cast your nets out during the day. But if I haven't caught fish at night, then why on earth would I catch them during the day? But something within Peter is prepared to believe. He's prepared to put his trust in God and actually do what he says and go and see what happens. And so he jumps into the boat and uh, presumably he takes a couple of companions with him. Now, I believe, and you can look at this yourself, I believe that actually Jesus, who was in his boat, went with him when they went fishing. You could look at it in the scripture any other way, and it's not a major point of doctrine, but the reason that I say that is that at the end of this passage, we read here, they caught such a great number of fish and that it's bound to break, so they signal to their friends... When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and says, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch. So they're in the boat together. And then it says, So then they pulled their boats up on the shore. So whether he is or not, it's no real matter. But for me, I have this picture that Jesus is with him when he's out there. And he's watching him and he's encouraging. And Jesus is taking part with him and pulling in this amazing haul of fish and seeing the astonishment and joy on Peter's face. So they then come in to the shore, and Peter is in this position that I think many of us have been at different times when we feel like contrasted to the amazing magnitude of God's heart and love and his power poured out on us he looks at himself and he feels like in contrast to you i can't i'm not worthy of this how how can i even how can i even receive what you've just given to me Go away from me. You you don't know what I'm like. If you knew what I was like, if you knew what was in my heart, you never would have even done that. You wouldn't have done what you did for me. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you are going to be a fisher of men. And I want to pick out three things from this passage of Scripture here that we can respond to when we're, when we're in a situation where Jesus wants to come into our boat. So what is it that is our boat? What does this represent for you and me? For Peter, the boat represented his livelihood. It was something that his, was his profession. It was his commission. It was something he was, he was good at. It was something that he did have a skill set for. And it, it made a way for him. It was, it was something that he'd chosen to give his life to. And I want to let you know today that Jesus wants to come into the area where he has given you skills. He wants to come in the area where he's given you a commission. He wants to come into the area which is your profession. And he wants to add to you who he is, and he wants to bring his power and his anointing into that situation so that you can produce even out of season, so that you can bring so much more out of that situation, whatever it is, in relationships, in the home, in the workplace, among the family, in the place of government education, he wants you to be above where you are because he is in you. It's like the Daniel concept where we read about Daniel that he and his companions were head and shoulders above the rest. This is not literally head and shoulders, but the, the word there is tariah, which means to, it's like the peak of a mountaintop. And God, through his anointing, enabled Daniel and his companions to take what they already had and catapult it to be so much more effective and so much more fruitful because it was God that was out working it through them. And that is what God has for you and I wherever we are. And that is the place of breakthrough. If we can invite him into the boat and we can receive that for him. So how do we do this? Number one, I see they've turned the clock off there, so I have no idea what time it is. Um, yes, we're, we're another five minutes here. Okay. <clears throat> Number one, we have to let him into the boat. And I want to ask you, what are the things that may hold you back from letting Jesus come into that place? and tell you to do things that may be different from how you've done them before because he wants to cause a harvest like you've never had before? Is it a place of weariness like, Peter, because you've been doing it already and it hasn't been worked, and it's just too hard to believe that if you go and do this again, that this time it will work? I've been in that situation before, and sometimes... (laughs) It's that steadfastness of just keeping going and just doing it one more time. For some of us, God wants us to do what we've done one more time. It's like when Jesus is speaking um, to John in Revelation about the church in Ephesus, and he says, do the things that you have done before. Don't give up on those things. Don't give up on what you were convinced of originally. Don't think that there's now a better way and we can put beside the things that we have been doing already. Number two, we have to trust in what he says over what makes sense. Trust in what he says over what makes sense. We already highlighted the fact that for Peter, what Jesus said to him it made no sense. It made no sense to do what Jesus said. But the only reason I believe that he was prepared to do this is that while it made no sense, he realized that Jesus is a man who did not operate by what made sense. (laughs) If that were the case, his mother-in-law would not be well, the sick would not be healed, the blind eyes would not have been open on all these things that he had seen. And so he had to make a conscious choice, though, when it came of costing him and he had to go out and do more work. He had to make a choice to do that which didn't make sense based upon what he knew of Jesus' experience and not what he knew of his own experience. And we have to place Jesus' experience above that of our own. And sometimes that is hard to do I remember a time um, when this principle had an outworking in my life. And again, this is going to be an illustration to do with vehicles, because those of you that know me know that I am passionate about cars and motorcycles and things like that. I remember the time when um, I had, I had uh, at different times in my life, when I was a child, I had ridden motorcycles. Um, small ones when I was like five or six. Normally, that they were automatic, they didn't have gears. And uh, I, I loved it. I loved um, cycling, I had a BMX, and I loved all that, but I really wanted to ride a motorcycle, a real one. And so my dad, being a wise man, when I was 11, told me that I could ride his motorcycle, which is a full-size motorcycle. So I was about my son Joshua's age, and at the time, we were in between moving houses, and so we were staying um, at my uncle's house, Bruce Trentham, who lived in this massive brick mansion. It's called Sherfield Manor. And so I've told you about my dad's side of the family before. Um, just in summary, they were all crazy. Um, so we were staying at this at Sherfield Manor, which had this huge like... Um, gravel driveway leading in, and then this big circle in front of the, of the house, and there was a, like a, this massive stone fountain there. And um, my, uh, my dad has a motorcycle there, and I had asked if I could ride the motorcycle, and of course, like any good father, he said yes. Um, now, it was on this property that my cousin, who was a bit younger than me, whose name was Storm, a very sensible name for a young girl, um, storm, as in tornado, um, she had got at age nine with her friend into her father's Land Rover and decided to drive through this estate. And she had gone down, it was a super steep hill, and she had rolled this thing with her friend in there, totaled out his Land Rover, um, like cut her face up and everything. She had to have stitches. Um, and that was a big fiasco. But the Trenthams, as a general rule, they never learned from anything like this. Um <laughs> And so I decided I'd like to go and ride my dad's motorcycle. Um, So I went ahead, and I, I could just about touch the ground. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty good at this because I've done it before several times. Now, not on a bike like this, admittedly, but I had done it before. So I started at the bike... And then I and I put it in gear, and I had to. You got a, a number of things going on. Those of you who ride motorcycles know that obviously you've got two brakes, you've got front rear brake, you've got a clutch, and then you shift gears with the pedal, and you will have to steer and balance all at the same time. So it's it's several additional things happening over just driving an automatic car. And so I put into first, and then I kind of began pulling away. It was made more difficult because it's on a gravel driveway, and so I'm 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 getting going, and I'm moving along here, and I make it down the driveway, but I'm pretty freaked out by this. So I turn around on the street, and I come up the driveway, and I'm working my way through the gears, and I'm probably in third or fourth gear on this travel driveway, and I'm approaching the house. And at this time, like panic strikes me because I realized there's a certain number of things I'm going to have to do all before I hit the house, and I can't really remember what order to do them in or whether I can even do them. And so all of a sudden, I I start hitting the clutch. I'm banging down through the gears. I'm trying to hit the brake, but then it's on gravel, and I'm sliding, and the house is coming rapidly in front of me, and miraculously, I manage just to slide off the bike right in front of the house before we hit it. And there I am on the gravel, and then my father comes out to me. And he looks down at me, and I think with a look of pity uh, on on his face, and he kind of picks me up, and he says, listen, let me show you how this is done. Picks up the bike, sits me on it again, and then he gets on right behind me. And I remember, here I was little 11-year-old, his arms come around, and he gets holding onto the handlebars, his legs are there, he's putting on the gears, and then he takes off. And now I'm sitting in front of him. My hands are on here too. But he's enclosed around me and he just, without being phased, just gently starts to talk to me about what needs to be done. And off we go down the driveway and suddenly this sense of anxiety leaves me and this peace comes across me and he shows me, demonstrates, literally by me feeling what he's doing on what needs to be done for me to ride this motorcycle. And off we go. And then after a little while, he hops off and I've got it. And back I go riding around. So what is my point here? That we have to choose that even if we feel like we know how something is done, even if we feel we've done this before, that if we're going to get this right and we're going to do it God's way, We've got to be ready to let him come and tell us how it needs to be done. And it m- most likely will be different than what we have been doing. But when he comes in and we're prepared to listen to that, that voice of his, even if what he says doesn't make sense, then his experience is worth a whole lot more than my experience. And I'm going to let him do what he wants to do. Finally, When we see the outpouring of God in our lives, we need to, number three, make sure that we turn from our fear to friendship. The sadness of this for Peter, and I'm so glad that Jesus is right there and he cut this one off, was that Peter, when he encountered this amazing love of Jesus... And this explosion of the favor of God in his life, he began to look not at that but to himself and said, I'm just unworthy. But the very thing that Jesus wanted him to do is to when he saw his heart from him turn towards him and turn from fear to fellowship, from fear to friendship. It was like with the prodigal son. When he came back, he felt like it's time for me to be a slave in the house. But, but his father was no, oh, no, I'm going to have a party. You're a son. And then ironically, the one who was the son, the oldest son there, actually acted like a slave. But the The extravagant involvement of God in our lives is there not to make us feel that we're lesser, but to make us want to run to Him in fellowship and friendship so that we, through that friendship, can be more like Him. As Moses walked with Him, he said it was like a friend. He talked with Him, and that's what Jesus wants to do with you and I if we will let Him into our boat. If you would, stand with me, and I just want to pray and respond to the Lord this morning. Let's close our eyes. Father, Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for who you are, Lord. And we say to you this morning that our hearts are open to you. And we want for you, Lord, to come into our boats, Lord, the places where we find our identity, the places where we find our provision, the places where we find friendship, the places where we find our family. And Lord, we're inviting you in this morning. And we're saying, Lord, we're prepared to listen to your voice. And even if it doesn't make sense, we'll do what you say, Lord. Even if it feels scary, Father, we'll do what you say this morning. And we're not afraid of that, Lord. And Father, we say that we're going to lift our eyes to you and look at who you are and not who we are. And we're going to receive from you, Lord, and welcome you in. Father, we want to be friends of yours. We want to know that deep fellowship with you. So we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Before we leave, I just feel like there's a moment right here, and I don't want anyone to miss out on what God has for them. When Jeremy was talking about how he wiped out on the bike, and then God came and sat behind him and encompassed him and picked him up, and he basically turned that failure into something that caused him to have success in what he was passionate about. That word we had this morning about God breaking off dams of disappointment. I feel like there's some unfinished business here. And I just want to say, if you are here and you have felt there has been an area in your life where there has been failure or disappointment, and you feel like that kid that's wiped out on the gravel and you have some anxiety, I'm never doing that again. God wants to get you back on that bike and cause you to have success in the things he's called you to do. If you have disappointment, and I feel this strongly, in the area of family members, if you're a parent with adult children and maybe you feel like, I have failed my child because they're not walking in what they're called, I feel like God wants you to know it's a new season. He's going to encompass you and your child. But the key to both of these things is that dam of disappointment needs to come down. And that's what happened with Peter. He fished all night and said, I haven't caught anything. He had disappointment. But he said, but at your word, I will do what you say. So if you want that dam of disappointment broken, if you want those failures turned to success, I just want everyone to close their eyes for a moment. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And I want you to make a decision and just say this in your heart, Father, right now. We are going to do what your word says, and we're going to look to you in this moment right now. Now, I'm going to pray in a second, and I want you to keep your hand on your heart. And I believe when I pray, the Holy Spirit is going to do a work in your heart, and he's going to knock down that dam of disappointment and that sense of failure. And as it goes, he wants to encompass you and come around you. And he wants to minister to you that you are not on your own, that he's picking you up and putting you right back where you need to be going. So keep your hand on your heart for just a minute, Father God, for every person here who is dealing with that sense of disappointment or something they failed in, something they're passionate about or passionate for. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now I just come against all disappointment and I take authority over it and I break its power in these lives in Jesus' name. And I want you to picture yourself, if that's you, I want you to actually picture yourself handing disappointment over and putting it in his hands. Now, you give him that disappointment, you give him that failure, and you say, it's yours, Lord. I don't want it anymore. You take it for me now in Jesus' name, and you give it to him. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask now that your Holy Spirit would come, fall afresh and breathe on each heart a fresh life, a fresh hope, and more than anything, that sense that you are encompassing each one, that our hearts are surrounded by you, not just comforting us, but picking us up and causing us to have success and to go forward. Father, we just say right now, we're humble and open. And if we've done something not in your way, then we're open to have you teach us a new way to do it. Father, I release revelation right now for every situation, of what your wisdom in that situation is, even if it doesn't make sense, your wisdom now. We receive your wisdom in our life, Father. We receive your word and we thank you. And Father, right now I ask that you would seal these things in each person's heart, that they would walk out this morning knowing that you are with them and that you are pushing them forward and causing all things to work together for our good. We say we choose hope, God, And we choose to look to the future and laugh knowing you are with us and you are bringing your good purposes apart. We thank you. We ask you to seal these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you need prayer for anything...